0: These bones from death to life Breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me. Oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life be magnified in me were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole earth echoing His eminence His name would burst from sea and sky To the mountain tops, we hear Christ be magnified.
1: Go ahead, be seated. Welcome. Good to see you. In case you didn't know, that big yellow thing in the sky was the sun this morning, shining bright. Thank the Lord. Good to see you here today. Glad you've come to worship with us. Guest, welcome. We're glad you're here with us today. Inside that worship guide is a little slip that says guest member response. We would love for you as a guest to fill that out if you would. And then you can drop it in the box at the door as you leave there. That's where we give our offering each Sunday at those boxes that that are at each door. So uh, again, that uh, response card is available for all of us, even as members. If you have a prayer request or anything you'd like to share with us, you can do that and uh, put it on that, drop it in the box. But uh, we're just, I'm glad you're here today, glad you're here on this beautiful day. Let's watch this a moment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Matthew. And I'm Ellie. And we'd like to invite you to our student auction, which is on Friday, February 21st at our Garden City campus.
3: It starts at 7 o'clock and there's a $5 entrance fee, which gives you coffee and dessert. Our middle and high school students work this auction and donate two items in order to raise money for them to go to camp and on mission trips.
0: This is our only
2: student fundraiser we have all year, so we'd really appreciate as much support as we can get.
0: We hope to see you there
3: Friday, February 21st at 7 o'clock in Garden City.
1: See you there. Do you know when February 21st is? That's this coming Friday, the one that's coming up. So uh, that's going to be this Friday evening at 7 p.m. here at the Garden City campus. Hope you're uh, planning on being here to, be, uh, to support our students. This is our fundraiser that we uh, do once a year to help them raise money f- to enable them to go to camp or on a mission trip. So uh, it's not just uh, raising funds to be raising funds, but it's for a really, really great purpose. So I encourage you to be here, if at all possible, 7 p.m. this coming Friday evening. Also, we're offering financial peace, of course, at two different uh, Heart of Life locations. One is going to be at the Adrian Campus beginning on March the 17th, and also here at the Garden City Campus starting on March the 24th. Uh, some of, uh, Many of us have already been through financial peace, and uh, we could give you a testimony. It's a great thing to be a part of. It, it's a nine-lesson course that uses biblical wisdom and common sense to help you tackle things like budgeting, help you learn how to pay off debt, make your money work for you. That sounds really good. So I would encourage you, if this could be benefit to you, if you're interested in attending one of these locations, take that slip that I mentioned, that guest member response and mark on it, and uh, we'll uh, help get you signed up for it, all right? So that starts on March the 21st at the, at the uh, Adrian campus and then here on the 24th at the Garden City campus. There's more information about even the student auction and about the financial peace course in that uh, worship guide. So uh, be sure to take that home. There's a lot of stuff in there that can be beneficial to you. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a beautiful morning this morning. Thank you for sending the sunshine to us. God, so many blessings are ours that we take for granted. We could just stand here for an hour and say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and never say it enough. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our heart, in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've come to live in us. And today... We're so grateful for that presence. We've come here to worship you today, Lord. Please accept the praise that comes from our heart and our lips today. And then, Lord, we would just simply say, whatever you want to do in our heart, we want to be open to that. Help us to be responsive to your truth today. Give your word power. Bless your word as Jeff brings it to us today. Thank you, God, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved the wretch and grace my fears, really. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believe my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior. His ransom me and that God's love his mercy reigns, an unending love amazing grace, the Lord has promised. swear Ransom and I of love his mercy is unending love amazing grace my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior His on me and back His mercy reigns unending love amazing grace the earth shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbid to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine, will be forever mine you are forever mine
4: that grace yes let's see. that grace that we just we just sang about is not just something that's given to us once it's a grace that we live in that continually he blesses us with and one of those things that uh he allows us to do is to go to him and, and, and be able to talk to him and have the most holy of holy, the most powerful, the indescribable God. We have access to him every day. If you've been here the last couple weeks, there's been a line that's just stuck with me. Jeff quoted A.W. Poser, Poser, A.W. Tozer, excuse me. And, um, He said that every man is as close to God as he wants to be. I haven't been able to shake that line because that is true. It's not like there are some times where in relationships you want to be closer to somebody, but they won't let you. That's the exact opposite. When we have a loving God who just wants his kids to come close and he wants to bless them. I want us to take advantage of the grace that he gives us that enables us to speak to our creator this morning. We're going to take a couple minutes, and whether that's where you're at or if you want to go and pray with somebody, but we're going to take that opportunity and we're going to talk to our God. and for your grace we thank you that with just one word everything can change in our lives God you are that powerful that with just one touch you can heal and you can transform God we ask that this morning your power will be evident whether we've come expecting that touch from you or not God I ask you to change our hearts that we would be be able to receive what you have for us this morning, God. We know that you are all powerful. You can do anything. There's nothing that you can't do.
0: There's nothing that God can't do. There's not a the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can do There's nothing that our God can't do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can do Sing it with me There's nothing that there's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that a God can do. One more time. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. Nothing that a God can do. Just one word, you come a storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see. My heart can't help but believe. Here we go. There's nothing that a God can do. There's not a that He can move. Oh, praise the name. And makes a way There's nothing that our God can do Just one word You hear what's broken inside me Just one word And you revive every dream the powers of heaven. I will believe for greater things There's no power like the power of Jesus
4: it's time for you to go to Children's Church and the rest of us spend just a moment greeting one another.
2: Well good morning. Good morning. I hope that you had a great week with all the love flying around and stuff all week long, right? Uh, I've got a challenge, especially for the married couples. Here's the challenge. This week, plan a date. Yes. Yes. Plan a date. Seriously. It it could be something nice. It could be just something fun. But I want to encourage you, challenge you, plan a date. Jeff, why would we do that? Valentine's Day was last week. Because you are standing at an opportunity to establish a pattern. Anytime you got more than one, we got a pattern going on. And hopefully, most of you got to do something like that this last week. It was Valentine's Day, so a lot of people are thinking, hey, plan a date. I want to challenge you to make it two weeks in a row. And then you got the chance to go three weeks in a row, because come on, here's the truth. Work takes a lot of your time. Your kids take a lot of your time. Uh, For some of us, we let our hobbies take a lot of our time, but we've got to build healthy patterns in our life for what matters most. And if you're married, part of what matters most is that spouse that God has blessed you with, all right? So I'm just challenging you. You already got one on the books, right? You already got one, make it two this week, make it three, plan a date. There could be a lot worse challenges for you, right? Make a date. Welcome to Heart of Life. I'm glad that you are here today. Welcome to Garden City. Um, a shout out to the, to the Adrian campus. is that you guys are, are uh, doing well this morning. Shout out to Lewisburg, to the crew there, uh, and to our online uh, folks who, who uh, gather with us every week. We really are uh, honored that you would choose this time for us to be together. 2020 for Heart of Life Uh, involves being on what we're calling the same page. Uh, It it means literally we're on the same page because each week, each day, we're trying to be on the same page of the Bible together. What I mean by that is each day we're trying to read a same section of the entire story of God and our goal is that by, by the end of 2020, we've read the whole Bible and we've done it together. But more importantly, our desire is that as we live out the story of God, we read it and then we begin to live it, then we are on the same page with the heart of our God. So every week, when we come together, we try to talk about something that we read during the week before, some section. And so today, We're going to look at a little section of Scripture in Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. You got an outline in your worship guide that you got your info when you came in today. I encourage you to use that outline, jot down a few notes. Um, I I believe anytime we open God's Word, there are some things that God wants you to get. And some things that will change for the better. All right? Numbers chapter 8, let's read for, for a minute and um, take a look at where, where we're going today. Verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites, men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of the meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. Time out. Now, the Levites are the priests, all right? And the priests were those who who stood, in in a sense, between the people and God. Uh, The priest's responsibilities were to set the tabernacle for worship the sacrifices that people were supposed to bring the the priests were in charge of of making sure that all that was as it should be now i'm reminding you that at this point in the story as we're reading it the tabernacle means it's mobile eventually there would be a permanent temple built, a permanent building. But right now, the building is mobile, which means as those Jewish children wander through the wilderness, everywhere they go, the tabernacle goes, it must be taken down, it must be carried, it must be set up. That's what they do. But not only do they set up the structure, they also set the environment and the the conditions for the people to be able to encounter God. So, I think a lot of times we see the priests like pastors, and, and that's true in a sense, but they would also be carry the responsibility of the worship team. Um, for us, an audio-visual team, a kids' ministry team, even a cleaning team. My point is, everything that would need to be done during a week to set the tabernacle for people to be able to come and worship, that was the responsibility of the priest. They did everything to set the stage, so to speak. And what we're told here is God's saying when a, when a young man is 25 years old, he can enter the priesthood, but the text says when he's 50... He should retire from regular service. Now, why was that? Was it the physical aspect of carrying the tabernacle through the wilderness? I think that was part of it. Was it to make room for the next generations that were coming along? I think that's part of it. So, I'm going to say both, but what brings the greatest clarity for me is what comes next in the text so verse 25 again but at the age of 50 they must retire from their regular service and work no longer they may assist their brothers They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of the meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Okay. That phrase helps me understand a little bit of what God was up to here. He's saying, when you reach the age of 50 this is really not about hey get out of the way thanks for everything they don't leave the ministry that's not what it says but their ministry changes form they now do ministry to their brothers which in this context are the younger priests who are coming along and I think what we've got here is tucked away surprisingly in Numbers chapter 8 is this pattern that God starts to establish, that you're going to see this pattern continue all throughout the entire story of God, especially when we get to the New Testament. It, it's going to get more and more in terms of practical. You'll, you'll see what it looks like, but there's a pattern here where God's saying, when it comes to serving me, I want you to start young, but as you grow older, your ministry focus shifts. And as I'm reading this this week, it's like, I think it's kind of like coaching football. It's kind of like coaching football, which, oh oh yeah, by the way, I forgot to tell you, we should have put this in the announcements. For those of you who are experiencing post-football season depression, all right? You're out there. I can see it in your eyes track and field and the cornhole national championships are just not doing it for you, right? It, the NFL is done for now. We have set up a heart of life hotline where you can receive counseling support, all right? No, we didn't do that, but I think we should, just looking at some people, all right? Seriously, what, what I think we see in this text is similar to a player who makes the transition from on the field as a player to on the field as a coach. They're still very much in the game, but their focus has shifted. And I'm not, I'm not just messing with you today. Part of what I thought of was once the Chiefs became Super Bowl champions. Does that sound good? Once the Chiefs became Super Bowl champions, did you hear how the players spoke about Andy Reid, who is the coach of the Chiefs, for those of you who need to know Jesus, right? He's the coach of the Chiefs. The, The way they spoke of him was a father figure. The way they spoke of him was a master at game planning. The way they spoke of their coach was someone who loved them, someone they respected, someone they trusted, because they saw him working hard to set them up to win. And I think that's exactly the picture that we're getting in Numbers chapter 8. The encouragement and the counsel given by the older priest can bless the younger priest. You're like, Jeff, what does that have to do with me because I ain't a priest? Well, it's got everything to do with you. I'm going to show you today. Here's where we're going to start. There is a ministry shift that accompanies spiritual growth. I want you, I want you to write it down because it's got everything to do with you. Here, here's the shift. It starts with people serve me, right? I'm saying people serve you. It, it starts there. But secondly, I then serve people. People serve me, and I serve people. And the part that, that God's really drawn our attention to in this, in this text in Numbers chapter 8, but then I serve the people who serve. Now, let's walk this out a little bit. Let's just, let's walk this out. When, let's put that, let's go back so we can just look at that for a little bit. When you choose to follow Jesus— You need people to serve you. That's a part of the design that God has set up. Around here, that, that's what we want to see happen. We, we want there to be people who serve you in terms of helping you to establish those patterns in your life that help you to grow. So we want some people serving you who will teach you God's Word. We want some people serving you who will give you those foundational truths that, that you can anchor your, your faith upon. We want some people who are teaching you to pray. We want some people who are teaching you to give they serve you and they help you mature but simultaneously they're calling you to also start to serve other people that's the way maturity works you start to pay attention to the needs of others you, you start to look at this is growing faith. And then finally, what he's showing us today is that after you walk this out with Jesus for a period of time, and after you find yourself serving the, the people that God has allowed you to be connected to, you end up in a sense becoming a minister to those who minister. You get to serve those who served. This is a maturing process. It's a maturing process. Now please don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I, I'm not saying that you're in this category and then you stop that in order to do this and then you stop that in order to do this. I'm saying all the time, all three of these, sh- eventually we want to see them happening in our life. It, it, it's not that once you get to the place that you serve the people who serve that nobody ever serves you anymore. That's not true. That's not true. Five minutes before this service started, two ladies and one gentleman gathered with me and they prayed for me before I came out here. They do that almost every Sunday. And most of you don't even know it. My point is, They bless me when they pray for me like that. It's like the last thing that hits my mind is to see those ladies and that gentleman just pour out their heart to ask God to help me to do what he's called me to do today. And man, do I need that all the time. My point is, no matter how far you mature in this process, there, there's always some aspect where God's designed it, that while you are serving other people, there are people who are serving you. N- none of us really can make it without that together. My point is, though, as you mature, the focus, the majority, though, of your, of your focus begins to shift. So. Let's get real practical with this, and let's just ask ourselves some questions to start with, all right? I'm asking me this question, asking yourself this question. Here's the first one. So am I serving? Are you? And if so, what does that look like? Yes, we want to meet people where they are. So when you are born into the family of God, we, we want to make sure we serve you to give you the foundation of God's Word, to help you to know how to pray, to know how to give, to know how to share your faith. Everybody, when they're born, they start on milk. And somebody has to give them that. But I I I don't know quite how else to say this, and I'm not trying to be harsh with this. I'm trying to wake you up with this. Some of you have been here a long time. And all you do is gather and receive. You don't serve the people around you. You gather in a moment like this, and you take in what you hope to get. And I'm saying following Jesus is more than that. It's more than that. The life that he offers you is more than that. It's not found in just taking, it's found in serving. Say, but Jeff, who, who am I? I mean, that was the priest back in those days, and they're qualified to do those things. Well, check out this verse that we find in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 5, it reads like this You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be. A holy priesthood, hmm. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. He's not talking about just the pastors here. He, he's saying, if you are a part of God's family, you have now been been grafted into this 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 spiritual household. You, you are a holy priesthood. Back in the Old Testament, there were twelve tribes of Israel, but only one of those tribes, the Levites, got to be the priest. They were the ones who had the access to to the temple. They were the ones who would set the stage. But now, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of an empty tomb, He has made it possible that we can come to Him in faith, and by His grace, He forgives our sin, and He adopts us as His kids, and we are now a holy priesthood. What does that mean? It means you have access to God too. It means you you can know the heart of God too. You have been given gifts to serve God Two. And whether that's encouraging or teaching or serving or giving, it, it can end up looking a thousand different ways and how your gifts are used to bless His church. But the question is, are you serving? Or are you just taking? There's no life in that. Second question, second question, am I learning? Am I learning? And here's what I mean by that. I mean, are you choosing to put yourself in a position to learn from those who have walked in this faith longer than you? And I'm using the word choose, because some of you have to stop acting as though it's somebody else's responsibility to put you in that spot. It's not. It's your responsibility. That as you begin to serve God's people and as you begin to serve a world around you, you're gonna come up next to other people who are serving Him too. And you're gonna begin to recognize some of them have been following Him and serving Him a lot longer than you have. And as you walk that out, there are gonna be moments that you realize, you know what? If I'm just intentional about connecting to that dude, if I am just intentional about connecting to her, if I'm just intentional about out, coming alongside those who have walked out this faith longer than me, you know what? God can use them to help me learn more of who he is and how to walk this out. We spent the last half of 2019 walking through three books of the Bible. First in and second Timothy and Ephesians. And the reason we grouped all those together, 1 and 2 Timothy and Ephesians, is because of the unique relationship that an older father figure, the Apostle Paul, had with this young pastor, Timothy. Paul's willing to come alongside Timothy. But Timothy is willing to lean into that older father figure, Paul. Paul calls him a beloved child. So my question is, do you have those people? Do you have those mentors? Do you have those people that you can run to, lean into, model your life after? Because I'm telling you, they're here. They're here, and many of them really are willing, but are you learning? Third question, am I including? And this is really the heart of what, what We're getting in Numbers chapter 8 today. When I ask the question, am I including, what I'm saying is, are you taking intentional steps right now in your walk to include those younger in the faith? Doing what I do for the period of time that I have I have seen it happen in church after church after church after church, who knows the principle that we're talking about today, but they choose not to do anything about it today. They know they're supposed to, but they don't do anything about it today. Years pass, and suddenly they wake up when they hear the sound of slamming doors on the church because there's nobody left to lead and they're closing down shop. I'm saying it has to happen now. It always has to happen now. Establishing a culture of serving and learning and including. Let's just bring it home. Let's bring it home. At all of our campuses, there, there are kids who will experience what we call today Children's Church, Children's Church, and right now, for, for us in, in, in this gathering, they are off over there and, and somebody's I'm pouring into them regarding a truth from God's Word. They're, 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 they, they're spending some time together, and our prayer is that they're growing. Do you realize that in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, and definitely 30 years from now, the little kids who are in those rooms right over there today are supposed to be leading? Some of you don't have enough birthdays yet to know this, but 10 years is not very long it happens quickly when you don't act today but if we do our job right and we invest in them and we serve them and we love them and we build them up in the Lord and we pour ourselves into them in a short while they will be leaders in a short while, they will be the ones who are, who, are, who are preserving, right, the truth. They will be the ones who are preaching and leading worship. They will be the ones who are counseling and initiating ministries. They will be the ones on their faces, weeping in prayer, praying for healing and life change and the people around them. They're supposed to be the ones leading And it's not that we have simply removed ourselves and said, hey, take it, but it's because we have been the ones right there all along, cheering them on, encouraging them along, blessing them as God gives us the ability to bless. I want to be clear, in case you haven't heard me say it the four times that I already have, Like it's got to be now, because if you don't do it now, it's crazy to think that we're suddenly going to wake up one day and it, it just all be there. So I'm telling you, it starts when you're a kid. And parents, here's what you can pour into your kids. Teach your older kids to do what we're talking about here today with their younger siblings. Give them the chance to pass along some faith. And the stories that you tell to the older ones and the principles that they begin to learn, give them a setting where they can pour it to the younger. Students, students, you got to start now if you really think you're going to get this right when, when you're, you know, 30, 40, 50. I know you can't imagine being that old. But one of these days, students, when, when, you're, when you're like where I'm standing, you, not, you're not going to do it if you don't start doing it now. The design is for older students to impact younger students. And, and I, I get it. People look at me and they just go, well, that's just not the way it is. That's just not the way it works. Older students don't want to be around younger students. I get that's the way our culture works, but I thought we were supposed to be a different kingdom. I thought it was supposed to be different. That this is not about how do you make it work within a way a culture works. It's older students who are loving younger students, and that is so bizarre. I'm telling you, if you start doing that, you would be shocked, I think, at what God would do and how He would draw students, because that is so outside anything anybody's experienced. But you got to start now. you got to start now. Parents, we, we have to do it with our kids. We, you got to give your kids more and more responsibility. It's, it's turning some things loose. To them, but, but for right now, today, how we model that really does matter. So my point is, if they're watching you, how you serve matters. And if all they see is that church, is you come on a Sunday and you take in, then what's that going to communicate to them as you're trying to pass this on? If it, how you worship matters. So, if, if they hear praise being ascribed to God and, and they see your, your posture, I, I don't know how else to say this, but come on, if your kids grow up watching you demonstrate more passion for the chiefs than for Jesus, you are showing them something. They are learning something. How you pray matters. How you give matters. Because if they grow up watching you use your resources more on just simply a hobby that you enjoy than investing in the kingdom of God, you are teaching them something. So, I want to kind of wrap this thing up by giving us a few what I'm calling simple principles that I, I hope allow us to see this maturity process happen in our lives, in our families, and in our church. But to do so, to do so, we have to be willing to overcome what feels like a widening gap between each generation. Now I don't mean for Heart of Life Church in particular, I mean for the world in which we live in, it feels like there is a wider and wider gap that exists between each generation that comes along. I think part of that is the vast information that we get, some of it's media, because come on. Forty years ago, we didn't know how, much, how different generations were. It wasn't that constant on the forefront. Right now, you, you at any moment are constantly reminded about how your generation differs from the one right behind you and how it differs from—and and all we hear is how different we all are. Look, I, neither the media nor anything else can stop the process of development that God calls us to be a part of if we are willing. So when I say that these are thoughts to challenge leaders, I'm saying these are thoughts to challenge older leaders, and these are thoughts to challenge younger leaders. The principles that I'm about to give you work for both ends of the spectrum. Here's the first one. Humility is a hallmark of great leadership. Humility is a hallmark of great leadership. Because if we're talking about how to, how to older leaders and younger leaders really get this right together, humility's the key. Because humility will not let you think your way is the only way just because you've been doing it that way for 30 years. Humility will make you stop and listen. Humility, if you're humble, you'll be willing to work with other people. Not always have to do your own thing. Sometimes you, you, you will see people who operate in, in this way. It's like they always have to do their own thing. They can't ever kind of come along what somebody else has going on. And the reason is because they got always call the shots. Humility will allow you to serve with someone else. I'm not saying don't, don't start new things. I'm saying do both. Do both. If you're humble, you will not think you are an expert because you listen to one podcast on a topic. That's kind of where you see our culture. If you're humble, you'll be willing to listen. If you're humble, you'll be willing to change. If you're humble, you will not act like you have all the answers. Throughout, you know, 20-something years of doing this, there have been certain times that I've encountered very successful business people. And I'm saying they are the people that if you looked at the world standards, man, they're getting it done. And they they at times would tell me, you know what, You, you have to sell yourself, right? Because, because the more platform God gives you and the greater the, 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 the mindset and the people to which you reach, you have to prove to them that you have the knowledge and the experience in order for them to listen to you. You got you to gotta sell yourself, you got to promote yourself, you got to do it. And I don't, I don't know how to argue that in a business setting. All I know is the guy with the most incredible platform who ever walked the planet didn't do it that way. And he didn't cause those of us to follow him to do it that way. And in the Old Testament, it's not how you see the greatest of leaders do it. Some of you have been reading along with us in Numbers and Deuteronomy and all all through in this early story, and I, I want you to see this verse in case you missed it. Actually, some of you, I think this might be you're reading today. Now Moses, Moses was a very what? Humble man. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Do you know how many people Moses led? (laughs) Do you know how many followers he had? Do you you know how massive of a mission Moses was given? I mean, seriously, do you know what hangs in the balance in what Moses is called to do and where the plan of God is going to play out? Do you know the miracles that Moses saw? He once saw a sea-parted, in order for them to walk across on dry land. He's the man who hears from God and then communicates it to the people. And I'm saying he was humble. In other words, despite all of what he experienced and despite the platform that he was given, Moses demonstrates this reliance On God and he puts the people that he serves before himself humility will change everything it'll change it people that you think could never work together try some humility on and watch what God begins to do second principle gratitude is the opposite of entitlement Gratitude is the opposite of entitlement. Entitlement means you, you act like none of the rules apply to you. Entitlement means you feel like the world owes you for what you're bringing, right? Entitlement means you want a spot at the table, but you don't want to spend the time to, to get there. Entitlement means you want to start at the top, but you don't want to earn it. Can I just remind you that entitlement actually started in the garden? and we have all fought with it ever since. So, for all the older generations who constantly criticize a younger generation because of this word, entitlement, guess who taught them? What were they looking at? But here's my point. If you will make gratitude your attitude, you will see the environment change. I'll say it again. If you will make gratitude your attitude, you will see the environment change. You make gratitude your attitude, you'll most likely even get what you want. I'm telling you, just be thankful. Just be thankful, be grateful for where you're at, for what you've been given. In, in Leviticus, we, we've, we've even been reading about the thanksgiving offerings that God instructs his people to bring. Why did God call them to bring thanksgiving offerings? Did God need stuff? No. He calls them to bring their thanksgiving offerings so that they are reminded. It's all his. They should be thankful. Gratitude. Gratitude. Why does God call them to give? Why does He tell them to give a tenth of everything that they have? It's not because God needs, it's because He's reminding them that it all belongs to Him. Everything they have is because He has blessed them. And to give a portion of that back reminds them of the gratitude that ought to exist. If you do not demonstrate a generosity in your life, it really might be a demonstration of entitlement. You think God owes you, and when things get tight, you think He owes you more. So instead of being generous, you just keep. He doesn't owe us. It is all His. We have been blessed, and how much more so now on this side of the cross. Here's what it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually. Offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. This is no longer about every once in a while we bring our offering of thanksgiving. We bring an offering of gratitude. No, He's saying, come on, now that He's changed your life, now that He lives within you, now that you got access to the heart of God, this ought to just be a continual thing on those who follow Jesus. We are the people who are grateful. I was reminded this week about a children's story? It was actually a children's novel written a long time ago, um, 1913. Uh, Disney turned it into a movie like in 1960 or something like that. It's called Pollyanna. Anybody remember the name Polly? You might recognize the name. Pollyanna, the story was she was an orphan who finds herself in less than loving circumstances but chooses to operate in a philosophy of life based on something called the glad game. It it originated when Pollyanna was just a little girl, and there was uh, this incident where she and some other children were allowed to... To reach into what was called the missionary barrel. All right, it's a barrel in which there are things inside that hopefully, you know, a kid would would, would, that people would benefit from, and they're going by to reach into the missionary barrel. Well, when Pollyanna goes by and reaches into the missionary barrel, the only thing left is a pair of crutches. Making the game up on the spot. Pollyanna's father challenged her to always look for the good. And she walked away from the missionary barrel that day simply thanking God that she did not need the crutches. It's the difference in entitlement and gratitude. And my question is, which one are you? You walk to the barrel and there's nothing left but crutches. How do you respond? For many, it's an issue of entitlement. I can't believe that all there is is crutches because what I wanted with this. And you believe that you deserve something better in the barrel, even though you did nothing to get anything that was in the barrel. It's something being given to you, but you believe you are owed more versus those who walk away from the barrel thinking I'm at least grateful that God has given me health today and I don't need these crutches. It will radically change how you live when you choose to be grateful rather than live with entitlement. It's the opposite. One more. One more. Greater commitment is linked to greater purpose. If leaders... Older leaders are going to invest in younger leaders, older students the younger, right? It's like greater commitment is linked to greater purpose. And here's where I'm going with this. I hear people say this all the time. People are just not committed anymore. <laughs> people are just not committed anymore. You can't get people to be committed to anything anymore. So here's what I've learned. Here's what I know. People are not committed to the bottom line. They're not. So whatever your bottom line is, you're trying to, they're not committed to that. People are not even committed to a particular leader. They might do something for a while that a leader wants, but they're not committed to a particular leader. People are committed to purpose and mission. That's what people are committed to. Now, they might have their own purpose, right? Whatever their purpose is, whatever their mission is, that's what they are committed to. Everybody does what they choose, they they perceive to be, this is valuable, this is what I want to give my life to. Here's where I'm going. For us in the church, if we bring this to the church, and we're thinking about seeing those who are young grow up to, to be those who lead, come on, church, we got the greatest mission in the whole world we have the greatest mission in the whole world it is a life-changing mission to declare how great our god is through what he has done in his son gave his life rose from the dead willing to forgive sin live within us it is the greatest mission in the whole world and he, what god said is i want everybody to know I want everybody to know. I want all your friends to know. I want all your enemies to know. I want everybody to know this is your mission. My point is that as the church, we don't have to run around trying to figure out, hey, what's a better mission? Hey, hey, what could be bigger than this? We know what the mission is. We just got to keep it front and center. And connect the dots to how everything we do is connected to this mission of declaring God's greatness in every culture through the Jesus life that he has given us. And come on, if we do those things well and we do those things consistently, we will see relationships that form out of serving together and leaders grown up Because what difference does it make if we give our kids the whole world, but they lose their soul? What difference does it make if we give them the whole world, but they don't know life in Jesus? I got one more thought to challenge you, and then I'm going to pray for you. This is a thought that God has worked over in my heart for about the last two years. I don't, even, I don't even remember where it originated. I just know I can't get away from it. And it is a thought that I'm gonna share with you today that God continues to mess me up with and on a regular basis, this is something that he keeps in front of me. I realize it's really long and I don't know if you're gonna write it down or not, but I at least want you to hear it. If you are completely comfortable with the level of responsibility you have given younger leaders, then you probably have not given them enough responsibility. And for a couple of years now, God has messed me up with that. See, we think we give responsibility, but if we're, truth being known, if we're really completely comfortable with what we've given them, truth is we actually still hold most of it. We haven't actually entrusted anything. The point is, there ought to always be, and I'm not saying be foolish. This is not about giving somebody too much too fast, that's not — there's a whole different, but I'm saying if you're completely comfortable with what you're giving those who are following behind you, if you're completely comfortable, you probably have not stretched them far enough. If we don't practice these things now we're not going to suddenly wake up one day and be mature in following Jesus. Are you serving? Are you learning? Are you including? As you do that, stay humble, stay grateful, and keep the mission front and center. And when it's all said and done, he gets glory. They will know how great he is. In light of what we've heard from God's Word today, what do we need to ask from Him? has been a part of a team of people that um, you've allowed to, to gather as um, your church that we call Heart of Life. God, I so want us to get this right. I so want us to get this right. And I know the dangers of we, we can have successes in little places. We can, we can pull off a project here, a project there. We can have an event here, an event there. God, it's really easy for us to set some goals and accomplish some things and even give you praise for it. And yet we still, 20 years from now, have missed the major target and so God I'm asking you to help us in light of what we've heard today in light of what we see modeled for us long 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 time ago in those first priests and now that we all the priesthood of the believer are called to to serve and to love in this way God will you give us eyes today to see God what we've talked about this matters and just to begin now God, for our children to invest in the children who are right behind them but need to grow in their faith. God, for our students who need to be willing to connect in the students who are younger than them, even though a culture paints a different picture. God, may your students be different. God, as parents, Will you give us wisdom to know how to do this in our kids? God, not just to give them everything of this world, but God, how to pass along this faith. God, within this body, as older leaders can invest in younger leaders, God, give younger leaders an urgency and a a desire to want to do that. God, together, would you join our hearts, God, as we serve, as we learn, as we include. God that we would be humble that our first move wouldn't be to see and criticize our first move would be humble to learn to listen to love God make us a grateful people God will you change our heart on a daily basis that we'll stop whining all the time about what we are owed and we will start recognizing what you have given us God even today we need to repent out of where we have missed those things. God, may your mission always be at the forefront. Everything we do, everything we say. God, I know today this talk is not, the, it's not some fix everything, That's not, but it is to remind us and it is to call us to really a mission that you've given us every day. God, there is nothing that you cannot do. (laughs) All things possible with you, and you allow us to be part of that. God, today we celebrate a God who can do more than all that we can ask or imagine. According to your power that's at work in us, today, God, may we take steps to cooperate with what you've called us to be. I love you. I thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing before we go today. I thank you for listening. I encourage you to praise him in this moment. If you need prayer, we'll be over here on the side. In the back, we would be honored to pray for you, to encourage you however we can. I love you.
3: So I guess I'm doing the bottom line today. Um, So parents, you can ask your kids, uh, love others because they matter to God. Or I guess ask your kids, when is it hard to love others? All right. Thank you guys for worshiping with us today and have a great week.